Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's a privilege to be sharing uh, God's Word with you this morning. And what we're doing is we're doing a, a very short series that is called Christmas Lights. And in essence, we're wanting to have a look at what it means to find joy in the Christmas story. And um, that's, that's just the focus, because we, fo- we found that largely our Christmases have been turned into a retail opportunity, and we're going to have a look at what our culture has done with Christmas. But we'll start by reading from Luke chapter 2, and verse 25 onwards. And then we're going to take a short tour through, through some history of our culture, and we're going to come back to this passage a little bit later. But to start with, let's have a read and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And I've called this morning entitled it, A Revelation of Jesus. And the little bit of background just for this passage is that what we are looking at here is Jesus at 41 days old, he's just been born, and he's being brought by his parents to the temple to go through the process that the law required. And so we're just going to read this quickly. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus... To do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's incredible. We're going to talk a bit about the background there as well, but to start with, Let's just begin with the question, why should we as Christians continue to celebrate Christmas? And why is it important that we remember the birth of Jesus of Nazareth? You know, why don't we just leave it at the jingle bells and the shopping malls? And our consumer culture, it's fascinating to see how Christmas, the retail push for Christmas, seems to start earlier and earlier each year. This year, I even noticed Christmas decorations in October, and I was thinking... Wow, they're really trying to extend the season. And it fascinates me that it kind of starts on Black Friday, which is now almost taken over the holiday of Thanksgiving in the States, and it then morphs into this spending frenzy towards Christmas. And a statistic that fascinated me in the States, United States this year, on Black Friday, the online sales, this is only a click of a mouse, this is not people visiting stores, was $3 billion. Now, $3 billion is around 45 billion rand. Our national public transport budget for a full year in South Africa is 41 billion rand. And in one day, 24 hours, more was spent online on things that people largely probably don't even need. At least it meant they didn't fight over each other for a TV, but they did it online. But it's quite... It's quite scary, because we know that if you look for joy in Christmas, buying something lasts for 24 hours, 
And I noticed that with my children sitting over there. Because I sometimes dig through their toys when they're looking for an old one, and I pull one out that I remember how desperate they were to get it. And yet now, it's cast aside, and the new one is the important one. And apart from making Christmas a retail opportunity, our culture largely has moved away from a conversation about God. And this is something we have to, it's crucial to understand, as we are looking at where our culture sits right now, and we are largely influenced in South Africa by European and North American culture. The reason I say that is because our constitution is enshrined in a liberal democracy on the economic front, we subscribe to free market capitalism, and our entertainment, by and large, is courtesy of Hollywood. Tom Cruise, Beyonce, Drake, dropping the mic, I don't know how all that stuff works. But largely, that's how we live. Our influences come largely from Western culture. And so, it's important for us to understand what has happened over the last 150 years regarding the conversation about God. And largely, our Culture has moved through two massively interesting shifts and phases. And the first we called modernism, and the second we called modernity. The first one was from 1870 to 1950, and the second one is from 1950 to where we are now. And modernism was influenced by two main things. The first was the Enlightenment, which brought the conversation about philosophy and science and reason to the forefront of the culture, and the second thing was the Industrial Revolution. Now, both of these things are, are, were phenomenal in many ways. Whenever we see cultural shifts, there are a lot of good things, but there are often a lot of bad things. But what began to happen was that man began to start feeling a bit more self-sufficient. We now have our steam engines. We can now, our agriculture is changing fast. We can start doing so many things ourselves. And it starts to make them a little less dependent on God because they are much more self-sufficient in their own right. And as that happens, what happens is man becomes bigger and God becomes smaller if attention is not paid to the soul. And they began to ask the question, the God conversation was still happening. So there was churches were thriving, but people began to say, do we really need this God that we talk about? We're still having the conversation, but do we really need him? But then from 1950 to now, there was another massive and major shift into the age of what we call modernity. And this has largely been driven by science, technology, where man has now gone to the moon. We're now talking about colonizing Mars. We're talking about cloning sheep. Sheep has already been cloned. People may be next. So the issues of bioethics are increasingly making man become more like God because we can now talk, we can now get involved in creative processes. And it's quite astounding when all of these things happen and develop without a worldview of God being at the top. That is where the danger begins. And so people are also starting to engage these technologies and changes within a conversation where now God is absent. So our culture is not even having the God conversation anymore. We're simply driving forward and pushing ourselves as far as we can. And one fascinating thing is that the gender identity movement also is something which is increasingly crashing at our doorsteps. It's a sensitive issue. It's a difficult issue. 
But whereas we understand in the model of what God did, he created male and female, Facebook now has 58 options for you to identify your gender. 58. And we're talking about a world that is becoming increasingly confused about the identity of a human being. Now, even now, at the same time as our, our, our culture is removing the God conversation from it, here's the point. The fact that today is the 11th of December, 2016, that very fact, A.D., is based on the life of a man by the name of Jesus Christ. So his voice still rings 2,000 years later after he walked this earth. And the full meaning of that, of that, of that inscription, A.D., is Anno Domini Nostri Jesu Christi, which means the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I find it astounding that even, even as our, our, our culture wants to take this away, so he keeps speaking. And this is what we have to hold on to because we cannot become completely separated from human history. A lot of the conversation with millennials and young people today, they're growing up with no context of past, present, and future. It's only all about now. And if we don't understand the history of the past, what do they say? We're condemned to repeat those mistakes. We have to grow up with an understanding of where we came from and where we are headed. So the fact that Jesus arrived was not sweet baby Jesus in the manger. His arrival actually separated human history into before and after. There has been nothing, there has been no event in the world that has even remotely come close to the arrival, the life the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let's take a look at the context now of the first Christmas when Jesus was born. And the Old Testament ends with the three books of the prophets, Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi. They were the last prophets that spoke at that time, God's word. And the New Testament begins with Jesus. But the timeline between Malachi and Matthew is 400 years. Now, it's absolutely incredible because God did not speak directly in those 400 years. It's a long time. And it's like waiting in the post office queue, you know, 400 years. <laughs> because nothing happens. Nothing happens. You can wait. <laughs> I'm going to get myself into trouble. But people were, were waiting for this prophetic word of the coming Messiah who would be, as we read earlier, the consolation of Israel, and there was nothing happening. And so the, the, the prophets were talking about trying to keep people faithful, to try and make sure that they did not lose their hope and their faith in what was and had been prophesied. So some, let's have a look at some key dates quickly. 538 BC, Israel returned from the Babylonian captivity. So they had been freed and they came back. In 520, Haggai prophesies and encouraged the rebuilding of the temple because now it's important to try and bring worship back into the life of Israel. 520 BC, Zechariah encourages a renewed heart because what Zechariah is saying, if you're going to go and worship in the temple, your hearts need to be right. You can't just walk in and go through the form and the function. You need to be doing it out of a position of reality. And he said, he prophesies and says, the Lord will be king over all the earth. You see, here are the, the, the messianic prophecies coming. He says, on that day, the Lord will be one and his name will be one. In 515 BC, the temple is actually rebuilt. It was an incredible time for Israel. 
Then in 440 BC, Malachi encourages the Israelites again to be faithful in hard times because, of course, all these rulers around them were dominating the Israelite culture as God will keep his promises to reveal the Messiah. And Malachi writes this. He said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And from that moment, the prophets stopped speaking. So some other historical dates, 333 BC, Alexander the Great comes and takes control. And then in 64 BC, the scene is set for Christ's arrival when the Roman Empire takes over and the stage is set. So it's into this land of occupied Rome that Jesus is born in the line of God's chosen people, the Jews. Through the lineage of David, we know all that history. And the lesson here is in the waiting. So even that 400-year post office queue is a place that can be of revelation and of ministry. We have to remember that. We have to keep our ear on what God is saying to us and not just on what we see. And then the four Gospels reveal Jesus in four different ways. Matthew reveals him as the king. Mark reveals him as a servant. Luke as a man. And John as the son of God. And as we get back to our passage now in Luke, Jesus was circumcised eight days after being born. And 33 days later, he had to be brought to the temple for the, for the, the, the ceremonies, that, ceremonies that he had to go through according to the law. And so, let's bring our passage up again, and we're going to have a look at a few points from this. First of all, it talks about Simeon being righteous and devout. Now remember, this is 400 years of silence. There's been no talk from prophets that, that, that Jesus is coming. And here is a child being brought into the temple who has not said one intelligible word to identify himself as the Messiah. So this is Mary and Joseph bringing him to the temple, and he's only 41 days old. And Simeon believed in what was, is referred to here as the consolation of Israel. That is, the completeness of the Messiah's arrival, and the fullness of what has been promised through the Old Testament and through into the New Testament. And the word consolation means comfort. It means the hope that God would come and rescue and comfort his people who had been consumed by all these other governments and rulers because they knew they were his chosen people. And the language is repeated through many prophetic passages in Scripture where the themes of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and the saving of the lost are so, so strong. And then it's interesting that God prepared Simeon through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we often treat the Holy Spirit as having been absent in the Old Testament and he only arrived in the New Testament. He was always, always active. We often read that the Holy Spirit was upon somebody when they spoke God's word. The Holy Spirit was upon the prophets. That's how they declared his word. The Holy Spirit was speaking through them. And here we see that Simeon was waiting. He was listening. His spiritual ears were attuned to what God was saying and the Holy Spirit, it says, he came into the temple in the Spirit when he, he recognized, that is what allowed him to recognize Jesus. And the lesson here is, are we in close enough relationship with God to hear him when he speaks, when he whispers? Are we listening spiritually and not just to the noise around us in our daily lives? And increasingly, the problem is, again, going back to our culture, our culture is embracing the physical and the material much more than the transcendent. 
They are trusting more in the physical and the material than the transcendent God. And what do we also see with our physical eyes that only our spiritual eyes can see? If Simeon had just looked with his physical eyes, he would have seen a 41-year-old baby, probably crying. But with his spiritual eyes, he saw the hope of the world. And when Simeon took Jesus into his arms, I get emotional as I imagine this. And actually yesterday when I was writing these words, I actually just, I broke down and started weeping because I realized that there have been times in my life where I've gone through the form and the function of my Christian life but not lived with the revelation of Jesus. A revelation of the man, Jesus. And the depth of the revelation that Simeon had was absolutely mind-blowing because he said, after 400 years of silence, I've seen your salvation. And he said, you can take me home now. He said to God, you can take me home. He was that sure of what he had been spoken and whispered to in his, in, his, in his heart that he had witnessed the salvation of the entire world. And we'll see later on, he mentions Gentiles and the glory of Israel. So the question is right here is, have you and I had a heart-exploding revelation of the person of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about a belief system where we say, okay, I I understand those teachings. I understand he came and he lived and he died. And that's good. And and, and I I accept him. I believe in him. No. Have we had a heart-changing experience where we are literally undone because of who he is? Not just what he's done, but because of who he is. This is the, the... The expression of God's love came through Jesus Christ. If we go through enough yesterdays, we will arrive at the cross and see him bleeding to death. We'll see him at the we'll see the empty tomb and we would see him risen again, defeating death. The interesting thing again with our culture though is that they believe increasingly, if we look at this verse, Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus said, It is written. Man will not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our culture is saying we can live on bread alone. And friends, it's incredibly dangerous when we leave and forget the words of God that have been spoken through time, spoken through ages. If we just want to live on bread alone, we will be on our own. And... Our culture is saying, but we are free, we are self-sufficient. Why do we need this? But all of those things are addressing the external. They're not addressing what's inside of us. They're not addressing the evil that our hearts possess, the propensity to be selfish, that when there are people still in this, in this world who are hungry, who are destitute, who do not have homes, electricity, and water, we spend $3 billion online buying rubbish. It's absolutely astounding. When will that change? Only when hearts change. And the thing is, what does it come down to? It comes down, in essence, to an issue of authority. Who is the final authority in your life and my life and in our culture's life? Because when Jesus arrived at 41 days old, Simeon recognized the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He recognized the one who was in charge of every ruler this earth has ever known. And so it doesn't matter who is on the throne because we know who is ultimately on the throne. But 
our culture is throwing off authority. That's why they don't want to be told that they are created in the image of God, but they are evil and they have sin and issues to deal with. They don't want to know that. They want to know that they are free. They want to know that they are in charge. They want to know that they have the authority to decide about their own lives. And friends, if we do not understand where authority comes from, where authority is given, and ultimately who is the authority, we will lose our way. And so what is the authority in your and my life? Is it Facebook? Is it YouTube? Is it a teacher that we once respected? Are they religious leaders? Is it some icon in the world like Drake or Beyonce? The only way to be truly free, I believe, is to be a slave to Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who sets us free. Truly, truly, truly free. And he said those words. Hebrews 1.3 says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature as he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the authority that is over every other authority. And the reason why Christ is still in Christmas is because of who he is right now. Alive, the reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. His name means Yahweh is salvation. And this is a reason, first of all, to find joy in Christmas. So we're quickly going to just have a look at three practical implications of salvation in Christ as to what brings us joy as we move into a Christmas season. The first one is a promise fulfilled. And that is what Jesus was. Anybody ever been on the end of a broken promise? When I was in primary school, I had a set of godparents who promised me a Meccano set. Now, for those who know Meccano, it's like Lego, but with metal and screws. And it must have been seven or eight successive years that they promised me. They phoned my parents and said, yeah, we're sending Mark a Meccano set. We're very excited. It's coming. I'm still waiting for all of those Meccano sets. I never received one. It broke me. It hurt me. <laughs> but... It was amazing, and I think that's why I'm living a second childhood through my children. Whenever we go to the toy shops, I'm actually the one shopping. But it's incredible how often humans will let us down. But God is a God who does not forget His promises. God is a God who lives up to His promises, and God is a God who delivers every single time. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, Galatians 3.29 says this, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Friends, this is a reason to find joy in Christmas. Because with Jesus' birth, the reality of the kingdom of God broke into our world. And the promise was real, it was tangible. The birth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is historical fact. It was tangible. His life of miracles, of teaching and preaching, of challenging the authorities of the day, is historical fact. His death at the hands of people who hated him, where he died for the sins of the world, is historical fact. His resurrection that he rose three days after became the first person ever to live through death and be alive on the other side forever is historical fact. If we go through enough yesterdays as we described, we would witness all of this for ourselves, but we can witness it by faith and in our hearts. And at this Christmas time, our faith is genuine. It is real. It is a reason to be joyful. Because we live in an unshakable kingdom. The second thing 
is by knowing that we are never alone. In John 14, 16, and this is Jesus talking about the promised Holy Spirit who was already active but was coming to live within us. He said, I'll ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he dwells in you and will be with you. Friends, we are adopted into God's family by his Spirit. The interesting thing is that for so many people, and we need to remember this, Christmas can be, a, can be a time of incredible joy because there are large families. Other people have no one. But even for those who don't have somebody, be assured you are adopted into God's family if you are saved. And I love this quote from Os Guinness. I read a book by him called Impossible People. It's a fascinating book. And he says this, In the Bible's view, the family matters because relationships matter, and relationships matter because God has revealed himself as a person. A father. He is not a philosophical abstraction, an impersonal ground of being, or the sum total of the forces of the universe. He cares about the personal relationships of those he has made in his own image. Before his chosen people were a people, let alone a nation, they were a family. The family of Abraham and the children of Israel. We therefore honor God above all in our relationships starting with the family and our neighbors and then moving outward to the wider world. It's incredibly important that we understand the importance of family because God reveals himself as a father to start with. The last point is that by knowing that we have a secure future. And Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. Friends, we sit here because, and this is why the understanding of past, present, and future is so important. We know where we came from. We are created in the image of God. God sent His Son to save us. He's brought us into His family. We are adopted. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit for what? For the end of days. Whether we die now or whether Jesus comes back tomorrow, He will be with us till the end of the age. And the prophetic future of the church is absolutely unbelievable. And I love this quote by a gentleman called Peter Kuzmich who said, Hope is the ability to hear the music of the future, but faith is having the courage to dance to that song today. And I love that because it tells me that no matter what I might face, my hope is secured and anchored in Jesus Christ but I can dance to that song that I hear, even though I might not feel it, because I know what he's got for me in the future. Because for so many people, what we go through in life is literally tearing them apart. But when we know what our future holds, we know what Jesus has for us, and we can dance today. And so the only place where we really find joy is in Jesus Christ. Joy, I'm talking, not happiness. Happiness is temporary. I'm talking about joy. It's in being reunited with the creator of our souls. And our, 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 the, the religion that exists in our culture, secular humanism, cannot provide an answer because it does not have a substitute for Jesus Christ. Friends, that is so important. Because they will keep telling us that man is ultimately going to bring all the answers to us, but they will never do that if they exclude Jesus. So my prayer is very simply that we would know with absolute assurance that our joy is complete because we carry the King in our hearts 
and we live lives that testify to him. Amen.